0: Well, it's 2016, and I'm sure many of us are very hopeful about uh, plans for this year, maybe some big life changes that uh, you have planned that you're excited about, maybe just some small resolutions uh, that, you've, that you've set in place that, you, that you're going to meet, um, that you're not going to give up on at the end of January. Um, maybe these things you've put in place to reach your goals but sometimes, sometimes we can misplace our hope. And often, we place hope for the new year, hope for life, in things that don't last eternally. And that sometimes, and yes, ultimately, if we're hoping in them, will disappoint us. In this passage, we read in verse 33 and 34 of actually what happens when you place all of your hope in the things of this world. Up until this point, God has been calling his people to stop hoping in man, to stop hoping in human power, to stop hoping in people around us, to not place our hope, to not place their hope in the idols of their own making, in their own self-reliance. God's been calling his people, Israel and Judah, back to him, but they're, what, refusing to listen. And they refuse to listen at this point. And their leadership, their kings have refused to listen. And so the consequences of this are verse 33 and 34, that God has chopped down all of the trees of the forest. And the trees of the forest represent the nations of Israel and Judah who are under God's discipline, as well the nation of Assyria that God is, is punishing. So we have a scene where we wonder where in the world is hope to be found. That could be, that could be your question this morning. Hope is here. Hope is in this branch, namely the son of Jesse, namely Jesus. The problem for us as we've said, is when we look at our world, when we look at our lives, sometimes we tend to hope in things that will ultimately disappoint us. So the call of this passage today, even the call of our whole worship service up to this point, has been to hope in the branch of Jesse, to hope in Jesus, because only he is making all things new. Jesus is making all things new, and in this passage, we see three ways in which Jesus does this. He makes all things new, firstly, in verses 1 through 5, by restoring justice. Secondly, in verses 6 through 10, or 6 through 9, by renewing the natural world. lastly, in verses 11 through 16, by rescuing God's people. So firstly, we must hope ultimately in the branch, because he restores justice. This branch, as we see in verse 1, is the stump of Jesse, that is, the offspring of David. Remember, if you will, back in in 2 Samuel, where God promised David that he would have a kingdom that lasted forever. And then later, in in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, we see that, that the genealogy picks up where the story left off. With Jesus, the coming of Jesus, the son of David. At this point in the nation of Israel, things seem bleak and dark. There's calamity, there's pain, there's trial. But out of this, there's real hope. This is not wishful thinking. This is not, I hope it will snow in Charleston this, this winter. This is, this is certain hope, more certain than the sun rising in the east tomorrow. This passage calls us, big picture, to hope here and now in a king who has come, but one who will fully and finally come again to put everything right. One who, verse 2 says, if you'll track with me here, verse 2 says, the Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. You'll remember previously that the Spirit of the Lord did dwell with God's servants. We think of Solomon, we think of David. Think of Moses. Even King Saul, for a time, had the Spirit of God resting upon him. But each of these failed. Remember, Solomon failed because he took too many wives. More than one is too many, uh, but Solomon took many, many wives. David failed and fell in his sin with Bathsheba. Moses fell by becoming impatient with God Saul was only seeking his own glory. And as we progress to this point in Isaiah, in history, the kings of Israel, their leadership really has let them down and led them down a dark path. Generally speaking, they've moved away from God. They're out of step with the spirit of the Lord. Their leadership encouraged idol worship. They neglected the poor and the widows. They married, intermarried with foreign nations, and and even practiced child sacrifice. Things were really bad at this point. But this one would come. This branch, this shoot, breaks onto the scene and offers hope, because this one would come having the Spirit of the Lord on him always. He would never fail. There's no chance of this one losing focus, because he has The spirit of the Lord. That is, in verse 2, the spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. He is wise. He is powerful. He governs with justice. He's a more skillful and considerate administrator than any boss, any supervisor we've ever had because he understands you. He understands your strengths, your weaknesses, everything about you. He sees things for what they really are. He never loses focus. He never is misled. He's the one that comes there in verse 2 in the spirit of counsel and might. This is military language. Because the kingdom of God is on the advance. And he comes with the spirit of counsel. He knows, he knows how to always choose the right course of action to rescue his people and the one that comes in might. We see that later in verse 16. If you want to jump ahead all the way to the end of the verse, he comes in might and power because he makes a highway from Assyria. Now, Assyria represents the most powerful and strongest nation at that time. And he he says, I break down every power on earth to rescue my people. He's powerful, and he counsels. With might, but he also has the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. He is completely devoted to God. There's no compromise in him. We can trust the branch. We can trust Jesus for his wisdom and his understanding because he knows God. He knows God intimately, he he walks with God. He's completely connected to the one that has all knowledge. He delights perfectly in God's law. He fills Psalm 119 up with meaning. meaning. And he's devoted to God to the very end. To the very end, he would not compromise because he loved the Lord and he loved the Lord's purposes for him. Even in the garden, do you remember? Do you remember Jesus as he was about to be betrayed as, as others deserted him, as others fell asleep, and as he was taking the sin of the world on his own shoulders, did he give up? No. He said, Father, not my will but yours be done. Because he is devoted wholly to God's purpose. And this is why, this is why Jesus, in verses 3 and 4, is qualified to be the righteous judge, to judge the poor rightly. And to decide with equity for the meek of the earth. Because he is so devoted to the Lord, because he is so devoted to God, he's not going to be swayed by angry rants on Facebook. He's not going to be swayed by the right-wing media or the liberal press. He won't be compromised by rumors or gossip or bribes or threats. He judges by the facts by the truth, by the standards of God. And he can always be trusted to advocate for the meek and for the lowly and for the broken and for the bruised reeds, for the marginalized. I think of uh, the story To To Kill a Mockingbird. I I haven't read the book. I was probably supposed to read it in ninth grade, but I I saw the movie with Gregory Peck. And and if if you know the story, if you've seen the movie, you know that, that Atticus Finch, this, this noble man, is given the task of defending Tom. Tom who's an African-American man who's, who's marginalized by the racism of that day and one whom the entire town would like to get their hands on and, and many would like to see killed. But Atticus will not be swayed by the popular opinion around him. And so he sticks with Tom, stays with Tom, defends Tom, and and advocates for him. Jesus advocates for us. He defends us perfectly and protects us. And he judges rightly. He administers justice rightly for the meek of the earth, for the hurting. It says here, by his mouth... He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with his breath he will kill the wicked. By his own word, just a word, one little word shall fell him. One little word shall fell Satan. And, and by his word, justice is established. By his word, the centurion's servant was healed. By his word, the storms are stilled. And by his word, you are upheld, even as Hebrews 1 reminds us that He upholds all things by the word of His power. Do you feel poor? Do you feel meek or even weak today? Do you need to be upheld? That Jesus upholds you. And there's no chance of Him turning His back on you. Many of us may have experienced a letdown from an unjust leader or somebody who has betrayed us in some way, in some form in life. But there's no, there's no chance of this one who restores justice. There's no chance of justice ever passing away when he comes. There's no chance of him giving up. There's no chance of him turning his back on you or abandoning you or, or letting you down. Because he is always faithful. And we see that here in verse 5, that righteousness is his belt and faithfulness will be the belt of his loins. Paul picks up that language when he talks about the armor of God. Here is one who wears the armor of God faithfully, always. We need to hear that today because sometimes we wonder if God is really faithful to us, if he really does care about us. Jesus, the branch, is always faithful. Even as the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, Forever. So, where is your hope for the future? This passage calls us to hope in the branch, namely Jesus, because only He can make everything okay again. Only He restores justice. But most of us, I think, at times are kind of like the people in Isaiah's day. We're tempted to put our hope elsewhere. We might be hoping in the next election that the next presidential candidate will be the one to bring our country back to the principles of our founding fathers, to end wars, to fix the economy. Or maybe it's, it's not hope in, in a political candidate, maybe it's simply hope in ourselves. There's a saying that goes, the best place to find a helping hand is at the end of my own arm." I wonder if that's our mentality at times. I wonder if you've ever thought, everybody's let me down and it's not going to get done unless I do it. Sometimes we can hope simply in self-reliance and self-determination. Or, or maybe, maybe we've, (laughs) we struggle to hope at all. Maybe, maybe we struggle with hopelessness at times and 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 have decided that 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 idols, the distractions that this life offers are what we'll hope in or what we'll look to, because reality is just too hard. Sometimes distractions make us feel better. Maybe it's entertainment, maybe it's Netflix, maybe it's losing ourselves in video games to take our mind of what's wrong um, around us. Maybe we're simply seeking to live for the next vacation, or in my case, the next hiking trip. Maybe it's something like drinking excessively. There's a lot of places where we can place our hope. These hopes are false hopes, ultimately, if we hope in them to rescue us, because distractions ultimately leave us empty or can leave us with a hangover. Sin, as it's said, will take us further than we want to go, cost us more than we want to pay, and keep us longer than we ever want to stay. We'll never have enough entertainment. We'll never have a good enough vacation to make us feel like everything's going to be okay. Self-reliance and independence are pillars that will crumble beneath us. Now, how's how's it working for you, holding the weight of the world on your shoulders? political power, Um, if we look in our past, even though God has given us government to rule over us, to administrate for us a just and peaceful society, what presidential candidate, what president has ever been able to bring lasting peace, lasting security, lasting safety? We're left like these people, wanting more looking for hope, and only Jesus, only Jesus is that hope. Only he doesn't pander to special interest groups. Only he is a prince whose kingdom of peace will never end. Only he can shoulder the weight of the world, and only he will be enough to help us cope with the pain and to help us deal with injustice and ultimately to deliver us from all of our fears. So the question is, are we hoping in Jesus to restore our society? Are we hoping in him to restore our life? This passage calls us to look away from all other hopes, to look to him alone today. Instead of placing all of our hopes in earthly leadership, we can pray for them. We can pray for them that they'd lead like Jesus. Instead of trying to take control over our own situation, We can relax because Jesus upholds us. Instead of dissipation and distraction, we can find true joy by hoping in Him. He's in charge now. And one day, one day, all of these verses will fully and finally be realized in the new heavens and the new earth, in the world to come. But what will that world look like? What will that world look like? So we trust Jesus. We hope in him because he restores justice. But we also hope in him because he renews the natural world. This is exciting. This is amazing, actually, when we look at verses 6 through 9. Because he transforms everything that was hostile into harmony again. I mean, think about these animals here. This is this is the image imagery of the garden of England. A uh, garden of England. There are lots of gardens in England, but this is actually the garden of e- Eden. I'm thinking about Downton Abbey tonight. I, I enjoy that show, but um, forgive me. This is the imagery of the garden of Eden. Um, the garden was lost in the fall, and Jesus is coming to make it into garden again. Old enemies in the animal kingdom we see here are reconciled. The wolf, the lamb, the leopard, the young goat, the calf and the lion, the cow and the bear, they're no longer going to eat each other. More than this, there's not going to be any kind of danger of any kind from from the environment around us. I remember a time when I, I felt particular danger from the ar- environment around me. Uh, my brother and I were hiking out in, in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and we were at this, this area, um, at this overlook, and, and we were looking for wildlife, of course, and, and there was a man there uh, who was, had a spotting scope, and he said, hey, there's a grizzly bear out in that field. And so, of course, my brother and I were going to go find the grizzly bear. Uh, what else do you do? Uh, so we were walking towards this. I remember thinking, this is a bad idea. And with every step I took, I got more and more afraid. Um, there wasn't anything to hide behind. And finally, we saw the bear about 500 yards away, which is close enough. Um, as we stood there and watched, the whole area seemed to come alive. I mean, I mean, with like big animals. To our right, there was this bull moose down in the, the, the bushes or whatever. And then in the, the stream, there were otters uh, playing. And I kid you not, there was a the bald eagle on its nest, and then elk coming out of the woods, and one elk ran by the bear, and the bear tried to jump out at it and eat it. And this happened. This was, I was watching all of this, and I had not felt um, that kind of sense of danger ever before in my life. I mean, there, we fear, fear man. We fear you know, things that people will say about us or do to us. But that kind of fear, I hadn't felt before. That kind of sense of danger, I had not known. But when Jesus comes back, there'll be no sense of fear, of danger of any kind from, from the natural world. It'll be so safe that we see in verse 8, it'll be, it'll be so safe that even the nursing child can play over the hole of the cobra. Jesus, when he comes back, is going to change even the dispositions of, of animals. Uh, even my daughter, Briley, could, could go outside and play with a rattlesnake. That's crazy. But I want to expand this beyond just the animal world to to something that really touches us. Because verse 9 says, There will be no hurt or destruction. They will neither hurt nor destroy in my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. There's not going to be any more hurt or destruction of any kind. Not just the animal kingdom. But we'll never be in danger again from bacteria or viruses or disease. There'll be no more cancer, no more back pain, no more heart disease, no more panic attacks, no more anxiety, no more mental distress of any kind. There'll be perfect health, peace of mind, complete satisfaction later today, Look to Isaiah 65, it expands this idea. There'll be no more hurt or destruction because the knowledge of the Lord will change everything. The branch has not come to just tidy up things a bit. He's not just come to take us to heaven when we die. He's come to renew the entire cosmos, the entire universe. So is he your hope for the restoration of of our environment? No, he he stills the wind and the waves. And so so we don't need to be as freaked out about climate change as some people are. I think this has implications for us. Yes, we need to steward our environment because Jesus commands us. um, God commands us uh, in the creation mandate to care for our world, to care for our environment but we don't freak out because we don't ultimately have the world in our hands. Jesus has the world in his hands. Isn't that how the song goes? He's got the whole world in his hands. So he's got the whole world in his hands. He's the master gardener, and he is the one who's making all things new. He must be our hope for the renewed earth. But also, as we've expanded this idea, not to just include the physical environment, but ourselves and our bodies as well. Even as we look to the redemption of our bodies, we work to fight disease. We work to to cure disease, some of us in the healthcare field, to treat illnesses. But our hope isn't ultimately in medicine. Our hope looks beyond this earthly body, to the redeemed body that Jesus will give us in the last trumpet when the dead are raised. So my encouragement to us today as we see these verses as we look to a renewed earth and a renewed body is to look to the one who is seated on the throne who says there will be no more crying no more pain no more tears behold all things have become new. That's true. That's coming. That's what we await. So is he the one you're hoping in for a renewed earth. Not only will all nature be completely renewed, but God is doing a new work by drawing the nations to himself. So lastly, I want us to see here, verses 10 through 16, that God, the Jesus is our hope because he rescues God's people. He rescues God's people. There's a lot of unfamiliar names possibly to us here, but but I want us to unpack these verses and we will see that great work of rescue unfold. How does he do this? How does he rescue God's people? We'll look in verse 10. You see those words there that he is a signal for the peoples. The root of Jesse, again, that is Jesus, is a signal for the peoples. And, and, and when his signal goes out, it will be like the star in the heavens and the wise men seeing the star and, and coming to worship Jesus. When that signal goes out, the nations will come to him, and his resting place shall be glorious. That's that's that, that's coming to him in his new society that he's creating, and will one day finally manifest in the new heavens and the new earth. Isaiah picks up this language over and over again, that the nations, that it's not just for Israel, but it's for everybody. They're coming to Jesus. But you know, we can get discouraged We can get discouraged when we look at our world, can't we? We can get discouraged when we look at the state of Christianity in the West or here at home. We might be tempted to think that the kingdom of God is kind of on the way out, that things are on the decline here. But I would argue that the statistics show otherwise, that they actually give evidence to the fact that Jesus will reign from shore to shore. Christianity is advancing by leaps and bounds, especially in the global south, in places like China and sub-Saharan Africa. In 1910, the percentage of Christians in Africa was 9%. Guess what it was in 2010? It was 63%. And by the year 2030, one out of every eight Christians will be an African Christian. By the year 2050, it's estimated that or sorry, by the year 2030, it's estimated that China will have as many Christians as the United States of America. His kingdom is on the advance. But how does he do that? Verse 10 and 12, 10 through 12, show that he is going out to the coastlands of the sea, that he's a signal to the nations. He's going to the four corners of the earth, we see in verse 12. But how does he do that? He does it through his people. And we might miss this if we gloss over verses 13 through 14. I'm going to read these and we're going to unpack this just, just quickly here. The jealousy of Ephraim shall depart, and those who harass Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not be jealous of Judah, and Judah shall not harass Ephraim. But they will swoop down on the shoulder of the Philistines in the west, and together they will plunder the people of the east, and they shall put out their hand against Edom and Moab, and the Ammonites shall obey them. Now, this is very militant-sounding language. It sounds like Israel is going to conquer the world in a military way. But actually, actually, this is the Great Commission happening. And we see that in Acts chapter 15. You can turn there later today, but the Jerusalem council actually hearkening back to the language of Isaiah says, wow, this this prophecy was fulfilled by the gospel going out to the ends of the earth, by the gospel going to the east and the west. So what's happening in these verses is God is uniting Ephraim and Judah, who represent warring factions of God's people, who represent a disunified church. He's unifying his church. And then he's sending his church out on a mission with the gospel to the east and to the west. He's sending us out. Maybe not to Greece. Maybe some of us to Greece. Maybe some of us to Scotland um, and other places in the, the world, London. But maybe some of us just across the street in Park Circle. He's uniting us and he's sending us out. The ends of the earth. And we know that when God's word goes out, people will respond and people will come home. How do we know this? How do we know this? Because of verses 15 through 16. Look at this language God will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt. He will wave his hand over the river and strike it into seven channels. And he will lead his people across in sandals. There will be a highway from Assyria. So, What's happening there in those verses is God is knocking down every barrier to bringing his people home. He's knocking down every barrier to the gospel going forth. And so when, when, you, when you speak God's word, know that, that no power of hell or scheme of man can, can stop God from rescuing his people. We look throughout history. At times we can, we can see that the church has been beaten down and threatened with destruction. But Isaiah says that God is making a highway from Assyria. That, that nothing in all of creation can stop God's renewing work of rescue. That he is working what in other places is called the Exodus. He's bringing God's people home from Assyria because they were in exile, just as he brought them home from Egypt. And this all points forward to a new and greater exodus that he would accomplish. So there's hope. There is hope for us in the middle of this hostile world. There's hope for safety. Nothing can prevent God from rescuing his people. You may wonder today if you're going to make it. You may wonder today if your children are going to make it. Spiritually, you may feel like you're far from home. You may feel like you're in exile. You may feel trapped by some sort of circumstance or controlled by somebody at work. I don't know all of our situations today, but know that you're not in the grip of those circumstances or that person or that thing. You're in the grip of the one who makes a highway from Assyria, who smashes down every barrier and will bring you all the way home. That's a comfort for us today. But also, this passage is our hope for evangelism. God will bring his people home, and he uses us to do that. We have an opportunity, just as Jesus' signal goes out to the world, to be part of that great signaling work with him. Even here in North Charleston, Even here in Park Circle, there's 270 new apartments going up downtown in in, in downtown North Charleston within the next however many months and years. Will we be part of that great signaling work to the people who move there? Maybe this passage is just simply a call for you to invite your non-Christian neighbor over for, for dinner so that one day you might share with them the love of Christ. His kingdom is expanding from shore to shore. He's doing a new work by rescuing his people. He's renewing the whole world. He's renewing us. And he is going to finally and fully restore justice. So where is your hope today? This passage calls us to look up, to lift up our heads from all that's around us and find our hope in Christ alone. Because He alone is making all things new. Let's pray. A great God and Heavenly Father, You will renew all things. You will restore justice. You will rescue Your people. And so as we look at this passage and we sit under the ministry of Your Word today, Help us to see Jesus as more glorious than any other hope out there. Let that change the way we look at our circumstances. Let that inform our minds and encourage our wills to live for him, to not be discouraged, to not place our hopes in even the good things that you give us, but to worship you And to worship Christ who is our hope. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.